Abandonment to Divine Providence Section 6 The Treatment of Divine Action The divine action as manifested in daily events is treated by many Christians as unworthy a manner as the Jews treated the sacred body of Jesus. The world is full of infidelity. How unworthy are its thoughts of God. It complains continually of divine action in a way that it would not dare to use towards the lowest workman about his trade. It would reduce God to act only within the limits and following the rules of its feeble reason. It presumes to imagine it can improve upon his acts. These are nothing but complaints and murmurings. We are surprised at the treatment endured by Jesus Christ at the hands of the Jews, but, O oh divine love, adorable will, infallible truth, in what way are you treated? Can the divine will ever be inopportune? Can it be mistaken? But there is this business of mine. I require such a thing. The necessary helps have been taken from me. That man thwarts all my good works. Is it not most unreasonable? This illness comes on just when my health is most necessary to me. To all this there is but one answer, that the will of God is the only thing necessary. Therefore, what it does not grant must be useless. My good souls, nothing is wanting to you. If you only knew what these events really are that you call misfortunes, accidents, and disappointments, and in which you can see nothing but what is irrelevant or unreasonable, you would be deeply ashamed and accuse yourselves of your complainings as of blasphemies. But you never think of them as being the will of God, and His adorable will is blasphemed by His own children who refuse to acknowledge it. When you were on earth, O oh my Jesus, the Jews treated you as a demoniac and called you a Samaritan, and now, although it is acknowledged that you live and work through all the centuries of time, how is your adorable will received? Has one moment passed from the creation to the present time, and will one moment pass even to the day of judgment in which the holy name of God will not deserve praise? That name which fills all the ages, and everything which takes place in the ages, that name by which everything is sanctified. What? Can the will of God do me harm? Shall I fear? Or fly from the will of God? And where shall I find anything better if I dread the divine action in my regard, or regret the effect of His divine will? We ought to listen attentively to the words uttered in the depths of our heart at every moment. If our sense and reason do not understand, nor enter into the truth and goodness of these words, is it not because they are incapable of appreciating divine truths? Ought I to wonder that my reason is bewildered by mysteries? When God speaks, it is a mystery, and therefore a death blow to my senses and reason, for it is the nature of mysteries to compel that sacrifice of both. Mystery makes the soul live by faith. For all the rest there is nothing but contradiction. The divine action by one and the same stroke kills and gives life. The more one feels the death to the senses and reason, more convincing should one become that it gives life to the soul. The more obscure the mystery to us, the more light it contains in itself. This is why a simple soul will discover a more divine meaning 
in that which has the least appearance of having any. The life of faith is continual struggle against the senses. Section 7. The Hidden Work of Divine Love The divine love is communicated to us through every creature under veils like the Eucharistic species. What great truths are hidden even from Christians who imagine themselves most enlightened? How many are there amongst them who understand that every cross, every action, every attraction, according to the design of God, give, give God to us in a way that nothing can better explain than a comparison with the most august mystery? Nevertheless, there is nothing more certain. Does not reason as well as faith reveal to us the real presence of divine love in all creatures and in all the events of life? as indubitably as the words of Jesus Christ and the Church reveal the real presence of the sacred flesh of our Savior under the Eucharistic species, do we not know that by all creatures and by every event the divine love desires to unite us to himself, and he has ordained, arranged, and permitted everything about us, everything that happens to us with a view to this union? This is the ultimate object of all his designs, to attain which he makes use of the worst of his creatures as well as the best and the most distressing events as well as of those which are pleasant and agreeable. Our communion with him is even more meritorious when the means that serve to make it closer are repugnant to nature. If this is true, every moment of our lives may be a kind of communion with the divine love and this communion of every moment may produce as much fruit in our souls as that which we receive in the communion of the body and blood of the Son of God. This latter, it is true, is efficacious sacramentally, which the former cannot be. But, on the other hand, how much more frequently can it not be renewed, and what great increase of merit it can acquire by the more perfect disposition with which it may be accomplished. Consequently, how true it is that the more holy the life, the more mysterious it becomes by its apparent simplicity and littleness. O great feast, O perpetual festival, God, given and received under all that is most feeble, foolish, and worthless upon earth. God chooses that which nature abhors, and human prudence rejects. Of these he makes mysteries, sacraments of love, and by that which seems as if it would do more harm to souls, he gives himself to them, as often as much as they desire to possess him. Section 8. Experimental Science That which is sent us at the present moment is the most useful because it is intended especially for us. We can only be well instructed by the words which God utters expressly for us. No one becomes learned in the science of God either by the reading of books or by the inquisitive investigation of history. The science that is acquired by such means is vain and confused, producing much pride. That which instructs us is what happens from one moment to another producing in us that experimental science which Jesus Christ himself willed to acquire before instructing others. In fact, 
This was the only science in which he could grow, according to the expression of the Holy Gospel, because, being God, there was no degree of speculative science which he did not possess. Therefore, if this experimental science was useful to the Word incarnate himself, to us it is absolutely necessary if we wish to touch the hearts of those whom God sends us. It is impossible perfectly to understand anything that experience has not taught us by suffering or by action. This is the school of the Holy Spirit, who in this way speaks life-giving words to the soul, and those which he speaks to us through others come from the same source. Reading and seeing become fruitful and possess virtue and light only by the acquisition of this divine science. Otherwise they are like dough, to which leaven is necessary, and the salt of experience to season it. And since without this salt we have only vague ideas to act upon, we are like visionaries who, though knowing the road that leads to all the towns, yet lose their way going to their own house. We must listen to God from moment to moment to become learned to the theology of virtue, which is entirely practical and experimental. Do not attend, therefore, to what is said to others, but listen to that which is said to you and for you. There will be enough to exercise your faith, because this interior language of God exercises, purifies, and increases it by its very obscurity. Section 9 the will of God in the present moment is the source of sanctity. O oh, all you who thirst, learn that you have not far to go to find the fountain of living waters. It flows quite close to you in the present moment. Therefore hasten to find it. Why, with the fountain so near, do you tire yourselves with running about after every little rill? These only increase your thirst by giving only a few drops whereas the source is inexhaustible. If you desire to think, to write, to speak like the prophets, the apostles, and the saints, you must give yourselves up, as they did, to the inspirations of God. O oh, unknown love, it seems as if your wonders were finished and nothing remained but the copy, your ancient works, and to quote your past discourses. And no one sees that your inexhaustible activity is a source of new thoughts, of fresh sufferings, and of further actions, of new patriarchs, apostles, prophets, and saints, who have no need to copy the lives and writings of others, but only to live in perpetual abandonment to your secret operations. We hear of nothing on all sides but the first centuries, the time of saints. What a strange way of talking! Is not all time a succession of the effects of the divine operation, working at every instant, filling, sanctifying, and supernaturalizing them all? Has there ever been an ancient method of abandonment to this operation, which is now out of season? Had the saints of the first age any other secret than that of becoming from moment to moment whatever the divine power willed to make them? And will this power cease to pour forth its glory on the souls which abandon themselves to it without reserve? O love eternal, adorable, ever faithful, and ever marvelous, may the divine operation of my God be my book, my doctrine, my science. In it 
are my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my sufferings. Not by consulting your former work shall I become what you would have me to be, but by receiving you in everything. By that ancient road, the only royal road, the road of our fathers, shall I be enlightened, and shall speak as they spoke. It is thus that I would imitate them all, quote them all, and copy them all. Section 10. God makes known his will through creatures. In the present moment are made manifest the name of God and the coming of his kingdom. The present moment is the ambassador of God to declare his mandates. The heart listens and pronounces its fiat. Thus the soul advances by all these things and flows out from its center to its goal. It never stops but sails with every wind. Any and every direction leads equally to the shore of infinity. Everything is a help to it, and is, without exception, an instrument of sanctity. The one thing necessary can always be found for it in the present moment. It is no longer a choice between prayer and silence, seclusion and society, reading and writing, meditation and, cessa and cessation of thought, flight from and seeking after spiritual consolation, abundance and dearth, feebleness and health, life and death. But it is all that each moment presents by the will of God. In this is despoilment, abnegation, renunciation of all things created, either in reality or effectively. In order to retain nothing of self or for self, to be in all things submissive to the will of God and to please Him, making it our sole satisfaction and to sustain the present moment as though there were nothing else to hope for in the world. If all that happens in a soul abandoned to God is all that is necessary for it, then we can understand that nothing can be wanting to it, and that it should never pity itself, for this world be a want of faith and living according to reason and to the senses, which are never satisfied. As they cannot perceive the sufficiencies are never satisfied, as they cannot perceive the sufficiency of grace possessed by the soul. To hallow the name of God is according to the meaning of the Holy Scripture, to recognize His sanctity in all things, and to love and adore Him in them. Things, in fact, proceed from the mouth of God like words. That which God does at each moment is a divine thought expression by a created thing. Therefore, all those things by which he intimates his will to us are so many names and words by which he makes known his wishes. His will is unity and has but one name unknown, ineffable, but it is infinitely diverse and its effects, which are, as it were, so many different characters, which it assumes. To hallow the name of God is to know, to adore, and to love the ineffable being whom this name designates. It is also to know, to adore, and to love his adorable will at every moment in all it decrees, regarding them all as so many veils, shadows, and names of his holy and everlasting will. It is holy in all works, holy in all words, holy in all its diverse characters, holy in all the names it bears. 
It was for this reason that Job blessed the name of God in his utter desolation. Instead of looking upon his condition as ruin, he called it the name of God, and by blessing it he protested that the divine will, under whatever name or form it might appear, even though expressed by the most terrible catastrophes, was holy. David also blessed it at all times and in all places. It is then by this continual recognition of the will of God, as manifested and revealed in all things, that he reigns in us, that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, and that our souls obtain nourishment. The whole matter of this incomparable prayer prescribed by Jesus Christ is comprised and contained in abandonment to the divine will. Many times daily it is recited vocally by the command of God in the Holy Church, but we repeat it at every moment in the center of our hearts when we love to do or to suffer whatever this holy will ordains. That which takes time to repeat in words, the heart pronounces at every moment, and it is in this way that simple-minded souls are called to bless God. Nevertheless, they cannot bless Him as much as they desire, and this inability is a subject of grief to them. So true is it that by the very means that seems like privations, God bestows graces and favors on faithful souls, to enrich the soul at the expense of the senses, filling it by so much the more as they experience the more terrible emptiness in a secret of divine wisdom. The events of every moment bear the impress of the will of God and of His adorable name. How holy is His name! It is right, therefore, to bless it, to treat it as a kind of sacrament which by its own virtue sanctifies those souls which places no obstacle in its way. Everything bears the impress of this august name, should be held in the most profound veneration. It is divine manna from heaven, the imparts, and imparts a constant increase of grace. It is the rain of holiness in the soul, the bread of angels eaten on earth, as well as in heaven. We can no longer consider our moments as trifles, since in them is a whole kingdom of sanctity and food for angels. Yes, Lord, may your kingdom come to my heart to sanctify it, to nourish it, to purify it, and to render it victorious over all its enemies. Moment most precious! How insignificant in the eyes of the vulgar, but how great in those enlightened by faith! It is great also in the eyes of the Father who is in heaven. How can I regard it as insignificant? All that comes from his hand is essentially good and bears the impress of its origin. Section 11. Everything is supernaturalized by the divine action. The divine action incites souls to aim at the most imminent sanctity. All that it requires on the part of the soul is abandonment to this action. It is only from want of knowing how to make use of the divine action that so many Christians pass their lives in anxiously pursuing a multitude of methods which might prove useful if ordained by this divine action, but which by preventing a simple union with it 
become positively harmful. All this multiplicity fails to impart that which can only be found in the principle of all life, that which is continually present with us, and which stamps each of its tools with a character of its own and makes it work with an incomparable fitness. Jesus is sent to us as a master to whom we do not sufficiently attend. He speaks to every heart, and to each he utters the word of life, the only word applicable to us. But we do not hear it. We want to know what he has said to others and do not listen to what he speaks to ourselves. We do not sufficiently regard things as having been supernaturalized by the divine action. We should always accept them with the perfect confidence they merit, with an open mind and with generosity, and be sure that nothing will harm those who act thus. This vast activity, which is in itself ever the same from the beginning to the end of time, is employed with every moment, pouring its immensity and virtue on the souls which adore it, love it, and rejoice in it alone. You say you would be delighted to find an opportunity of dying for God, and would be completely satisfied with some such action, or with a life leading to the same result, to lose all, to die forsaken, to sacrifice your life for others. These are indeed charming ideas. But as for me, Lord, I glorify in all things the might of your will, in which I find all the happiness of martyrdom, austerities, and good works for others. Your will is enough and I am content to live and to die as it decrees. In itself, it is more pleasing to me than all the attributes of the instruments of which it means it makes use, or than their affects, because it pervades all, makes all divine, and changes all into itself. It is all heavenly to me, and every one of my moments is a genuine divine action, and living or dying i shall always be satisfied with it yes divine love i shall no longer single out times or ways but shall welcome you always and in any fashion it seems to me o divine will as if you had revealed your immensity to me i will therefore take no steps save in the bosom of your infinity you who are the same yesterday today and forever the unceasing torrent of grace has its rise in you. It is from you that it flows, is carried on and made active. Therefore, it is not within the narrow limits of a book or the life of a saint or in some sublime idea that I ought to seek you. These are but drops of that ocean which is poured out over every creature and in which they are all immersed. They are mere atoms that disappear in this depth deep abyss i will no longer seek this action in the thoughts of spiritual persons i will no longer beg my bread from door to door nor pay court to creatures but i will live as the child of an infinitely good wise and powerful father whom i desire to please and to make happy i wish to live according to my life and since the divine action is applied by every single thing and at every moment for my perfection I will live on this immense fortune, this certain income, and in the most profitable manner. Is there any creature whose action can equal that of God? Why then should I go to creatures for help, since all that happens to me is the work of his uncreated hand? 
creatures are powerless, ignorant, and without affection. And I should die of thirst, rushing like this from one fountain to another, from one stream to another, when there is a sea at hand, the waters of which encompass me on every side. All that happens to me, therefore, will be food for my nourishment, water for my cleansing, fire for my purification, and a channel of grace for all my needs. That which I might endeavor to find in other ways seeks me incessantly and gives itself to me through all creatures. O love of God, how is it that all creatures do not know how freely you lavish yourself and your favors on them while they are seeking you in byways and corners where you are not to be found? How foolish to refuse to breathe the open air, to search for a spot in which to place the foot when there is the whole countryside before you, to be unable to find water when there is a whole deluge at your service, nor to possess and enjoy God, nor to recognize his action when it is present in all things. You search for hidden ways of belonging to God, good people, but the way, the only way, is that of making use of whatever he sends you. All leads to union to perfection, except what is sinful or not a duty. All that is necessary is to accept everything, placing no obstacle in the way of its action, but letting it accomplish its work. All things are intended to guide, raise, and support you, and are in the hands of God, whose action is vaster and more present than the elements of earth, air, and water. Even by means of the senses of God will enter, pervade, they are used only as he ordains, because everything contrary to his will must be resisted. There is not a single atom that goes to form part of your being, even to the marrow of the bone, that is not formed by the divine power. From it all things proceed, by it all things are made. Your very lifeblood flows from your veins by the movement this power imparts to it. And all the fluctuations that exist between strength and weakness, lacquer and liveliness, life and death, are divine instruments put in motion to effect your sanctification. Under its influence, all bodily states become operations of grace. From this invisible hand come all your opinions, all your ideals, on whatever subject they may be formed. What this action will effect in you you will learn by successive experience, for there is no created heart or mind that can teach it to you. Your life flows on uninterruptedly in this unsounded abyss in which each present moment contains all that is best for you and as such must be loved and esteemed. It is necessary to have a perfect confidence in this action which of itself can be nothing but what is good. Yes, divine love, to what height of supernatural, sublime, admirable, and com incomparable virtue would all souls arrive if they would be but satisfied with your action? Yes, if they would leave the matter to this divine hand, they would attain to an eminent degree of perfection. Everyone would arrive at it because it is offered to all. No effort is required because the work accomplishes itself. Every soul possesses in you an infinitely perfect model, and by your action which works 
ceaselessly to this end is rendered like this model. If all souls were faithful copies of this divine example, they would all speak, act, and live divinely. They would not require to copy each other, but would be singled out by the divine influence, and each would be rendered unique by the most simple and ordinary things. By what means, O oh my God, I can make your creatures ap appreciate what is offered to them? Must I, who possess so great a treasure, with which I could enrich the whole world, see souls perish in poverty? Must I behold them withering like plants in a desert, when I can show them the source of living waters? Come, foolish souls, you who have not an atom of sensible devotion, you too who possess no talent nor even the rudiments of education, you who cannot understand a single spiritual term, who stand astonished and astounded at the eloquence of the learned whom you admire. Come, and I will teach you a secret which will place you far beyond these clever minds. I will make perfection so easy to you that you will find it everywhere and in everything. I will unite you to God and make you walk hand in hand with him from the moment that you begin practicing what I will teach you. Come not to study the map of spiritual country, but to possess it, to walk in it at your ease without fear of losing your way. Come not to study the theory of divine grace, nor to find out what it has accomplished in the past and still continues to accomplish, but to become simply subject to its operations. It is not necessary that you should understand what it has said to others, nor to repeat the words intended only for them, and which you have overheard, but you yourself will receive from it what is best for you. Section 12. The Divine Word, Our Model. The divine action alone can sanctify us, for that alone can make us imitate the divine example of our perfection. In course of time, the idea formed by the eternal wisdom of all things is carried out by divine action. All things have in God their likeness and are recognized and known by the divine wisdom. Should you know all those things that are not for you, such knowledge would be no guide to you in any way. The divine action beholds in the word the idea after which you ought to be formed, and this example is always before you. It sees in the word all that is necessary for the sanctification of every soul. The holy scriptures contain one part, and the workings of the divine action in the interior of the soul, after the example set forth by the word, complete the work. We must understand that the only way of receiving the impression of this eternal idea is to remain quietly amiable to it, and that neither effort nor mental speculations can do anything to that end. It is obvious that a work such as this cannot be affected by cleverness, intelligence, or subtility of mind, but only by the passive way of abandonment to its reception and by yielding to it like metal in a, in a mold, or a canvas under the pencil or a stone in the hand of the sculpture. It is evident that to know all the divine mysteries of God is by no means the way in which by his will we are made to resemble his image. 
that image which the word has formed of us that our resemblance to the divine type can only be formed in us by the impression of the seal of the divine action and that this impression is not produced in the mind by ideas but in the will by abandonment the wisdom of the just soul consists in being content with what is intended for it in confining itself within the boundary of its path and not trespassing beyond its limits it is not inquisitive about god's way of acting but is content as regard itself with the arrangements of his will making no effort to discover its means of its meaning by comparisons or conjectures but only desiring to understand what each moment reveals it listens to the voice of the word when it sounds in the depths of the heart it does not inquire as to what the divine spouse has said to others but is satisfied with what it receives for itself so that moment by moment it becomes in this way divinized without its knowledge it is thus that the divine word converses with his spouse by the solid effects of his action which the spouse without scrutinizing curiously accepts with loving gratitude thus the spirituality of such a soul is perfectly simple absolutely solid and thoroughly diffused throughout its entire being its actions are not determined by ideas nor by a confusion of words which by themselves would only serve to excite pride pious people make a great use of the mind whereas mental exertion is of very little use and is even antagonistic to true piety we must make use only of that which god sends us to do or to suffer and not forsake this divine reality to occupy our minds with the historical wonders of this divine work instead of gaining an increase of grace by our fidelity the marvels of this work of which we read for the purpose of satisfying our curiosity often only tend to disgust us with things seem trifling but by which if we do not despise them the divine love effects very great things in us fools that we are we admire and bless this divine action in the writings related its history and when it is ready to continue this writing on our hearts we keep moving the paper and prevent its writing by our curiosity to see what it is is doing in and around us pardon divine love these defects i can see them all in myself for i am not yet able to understand how to let you act so far i have not allowed myself to be cast into the mold i have run through all your workshops and have admired all your works but have not as yet by abandonment received even the bare outline of your pencil nevertheless i have found in you a kind master a physician a father and a beloved friend i will now become your disciple and will frequent no other school than yours like the prodigal son i return hungering for your bread i relinquish the ideas which tend only to satisfaction of mental curiosity i will no longer run after masters and books but only make use of them as of other things that present themselves not for my own sanctification but in dependence on the divine action and in obedience to you for love of you and to discharge my debts 
I will confine myself to the one essential business, that of the present moment, and thus enable you to act.'